Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's monthly podcast, bringing you news highlights and topical debate. Hi, and welcome to the December 2021 episode of the Into Security podcast. I'm Eleanor Dalloway, Editorial Director at Info Security Magazine, and I'm joined today by my team, James Coker and Benjamin David. So how are you two? How are you? Yeah, very well, Eleanor. Thank, thanks for having me on. Uh, just looking forward to the to the Christmas break, of course, as, as we all are. Yes, likewise. Thank you for having me. What are you, what are you two asking Santa for for Christmas? Unfortunately, my presents have come really boring as I've sort of got older and older. It's uh, normally just clothes, including sort of underpants and uh, socks. Uh, but um, I generally can't remember what else. I'm sure I did ask for something more more exciting. It's, it's, it's actually slipped my mind, to be honest. It's funny you say that because Jessica Barker on the Chats podcast this month said she wanted socks for Christmas and that's all she'd asked her husband for but then she did confess that if he only got her socks she would be furious so we put out a very public warning uh, to uh, Freaky Clown that uh, <laughs> he must absolutely not just purchase socks. What about you Ben? What are you asking for? Well I'm going to use this podcast opportunity to completely virtue signal and hope for an end to the pandemic to get back into the office to attend info security conferences again don't think um i'm sure i'm not the only one who misses yeah that sounds good i think a lot of people are hoping for that as well okay so this month's into security podcast is going to be a reflective one this year we've toned down our focus on prediction pieces which we would normally be um, churning out at this time of year because i think if the last couple of years have taught us anything at all it's that life is anything but predictable so instead we're going to bow out before christmas by sharing with you our top 10 news headlines of the year talking through each of those stories that have captured our readers attention Now, we've seen some of our most read news items of all time this year, and we're very grateful, of course, to all of our readers for choosing us for your content needs. Absolutely. And uh, we've calculated the top 10 of those stories based on analytics and website stats. So it's been calculated by unique page views. So a very scientific method. I'm sure you'd agree. Yeah, absolutely. Rather than just choosing our favourites, which was tempting. Um, But we're going to do this in reverse order, um, of course, to create a little bit of suspense and build up to our biggest headlines. So we're going to kick off with number 10. And James, I'm going to come over to you for that one, please. Thanks, Eleanor. Um, So, yeah, coming in at 10 in the list was a story which um, emerged all the way back in January the 6th, and that was that the British Airways was beginning, was planning to begin settlement discussions that could see customers who were victims of a, of a data breach that took place in 2018 uh, receive a compensation payout uh, reported to be of up to three billion uh, in total. Um, so this is a story that's kind of really ran and ran, had numerous developments since the incident first emerged back in 2018. And uh, for those of you who've forgotten, it relates to 
two major data breaches at British Airways between April and July of 2018, which led to the compromise of 185,000 of its customers' personal and financial details, uh, while a further 380,000 users of the airline's app and website had their information exposed between August and September 2018. So the data that was compromised in the breaches included customer names, billing addresses, and email addresses. Um, and in addition, for for some some of those users, payment card information, including card numbers, expiry date, and in tens of thousands of cases, the CVV security code was also exposed, although no passport details were stolen. So obviously, it was a very serious breach, and as you can imagine, this caused a lot of lot of distress and worry among among those customers affected uh, and it led to the UK Information Commissioner's Office issuing a record 185 million fine to BA in July 2019 for failing to prevent the, the digital skimming attack that caused the data compromised albeit this fine was drastically reduced to 20 million in October 2020 um, mainly to take into account the economic impact of uh, the COVID-19 crisis on the business. But obviously, with the ICOs fine, um, that doesn't really compensate the the victims in all this, the, the customers. So a class action lawsuit was brought by the customers whose data was compromised. And, and as I said, this is kind of a long running story, but uh, eventually the saga was uh, brought to an end in July this year when BA settled the data breach claim of the 420,000 people in the lawsuit, although the, the final settlement amount was undisclosed. So obviously a very significant case in the end and it was ultimately good to see the victims compensated for, for the damage that was caused to them and hopefully that will be an extra incentive for, for businesses like BA to, to strengthen their cybersecurity in the future. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about the reduction of fine as well. I think that's a bit of a trend that has been brought up um, quite a lot recently where the ICO is either reducing fines or not following through or chasing those payments. Um, it, it was something that was brought up at the Women in Security, Cybersecurity event actually that InfoSecurity magazine ran um, last month and Professor Lisa Short was talking about that. So really interesting. Breaches are always very popular stories uh, on InfoSecurity magazine for as long as I can remember. If you have a big data breach breaking um, that story will normally perform very well so it's definitely something that captures our readers attention so number nine lands back with me and, and in at number nine was Accenture tied up in 50 million dollar ransomware lockbit 2.0 attack now, ransomware has appeared on our news pages too many times to count over the past year, more so than ever before. And I personally have absolutely no hesitation in declaring 2021 the year of ransomware. So this story um, where Accenture tied up in $50 million ransomware lockbit 2.0 attack, the ransom group lockbit took encrypted data, um, six terabytes, uh, from global consultancy Accenture, and the ransom demanded was hefty, obviously, at $50 million. That was in August. Now, two months later in October, Accenture acknowledged in a filing to the Securities and Exchange Commission that outsiders extracted proprietary information in the summer. And the SEC filing shared that the company first discovered on July 30th and disclosed in early August. 
It coincided, of course, the disclosure with the ransomware gang leaking information from the consulting giant after saying that Accenture failed to pay the ransomware by its deadline. And in an internal memo at Accenture, they wrote, while the perpetrators were able to acquire certain documents that reference a small number of clients and certain work materials we have prepared for clients, none of the information is of a highly sensitive nature. Now, number eight, you're up, Ben. Yes, so this is the story, of course, about CrowdStrike uh, slamming Microsoft over this SolarWinds hack. Now, the United States Senate's uh, Select Committee on Intelligence historically met in February to hear evidence from tech executives regarding the historic hack on Texas-based company SolarWinds. Now, government agencies issued emergency directives in December of 2020 after cybersecurity company FireEye detected a supply chain attack trojanizing SolarWinds' Orion business software updates to distribute malware. Now, using SolarWinds and Microsoft programs, hackers believed to have been working for Russia attacked nine federal agencies and around 100 American companies. The committee heard that both the scale and sophistication of the attack were greater than had been previously thought. Microsoft President Brad Smith said the attack was the largest and most sophisticated sort of operation that they have ever seen, and that he believed it was the work of at least 1,000 very skilled, very capable engineers. Now, the true impact of the attack may never be gauged um, as victims are only required by law to disclose cyber attacks that expose individuals' private data. Now, during the attack, hackers were able to read Microsoft's source code for how its programs authenticate users and then manipulate those programs to access new areas inside victims' networks. And Smith said that this had been made possible not through any errors on Microsoft's part, but as the result of customers' configuration mistakes and other errors that meant the keys to the safe and the car were left out in the open. Now, James, back to you for number seven. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Um, number seven is is a story that, that we, we published in August that banking giant JP Morgan Chase warned customers that their personal data may have been compromised. This was the result of a technical malfunction which allowed users of the website chase.com or the chase mobile app to view the banking information of other customers whose personal details were similar for nearly two months earlier this year um, so the data that may have been compromised included the customers names account numbers account balances and details of their transactions so obviously highly sensitive stuff um, and the data breach was reported to the Montana office of the Attorney General on August the 13th, as having begun on May the 24th and ended on July the 14th. Uh, the bank did say that no evidence was found to suggest that the personal information of customers who were impacted had been used inappropriately. Um, and the seven customers that were impacted were subsequently offered uh, one year of free credit monitoring. Um, so. I think potentially a, a very a dangerous situation was was kind of didn't turn out to be anything too too dangerous. But um, we've we've had JP Morgan Chase in the news a, a few other times this um, recently. Um, so there was another breach there in 2020 
in which the company notified two customers that between April and November 2020, a call centre employee may have allowed an unauthorised first third party to overhear phone calls in which personal information about their Chase account was shared. Um, additional story um, came this year in in where in which a 12-year prison sentence was awarded to a Russian hacker. Um, so in January this, this year, he pleaded guilty to stealing the personal information of over 100 million customers from hacking into numerous companies between 2012 and mid-2015, uh, one of which was JP Morgan Chase, um, from which the, the hacker stole personal data belonging to more than 80 million of its customers. So, um, so yeah, obviously, JP Morgan Chase in, in the news quite a bit um and it just shows that financial services is really a sector where data breaches are particularly damaging for for companies and also a sector that's heavily targeted by cyber criminals obviously because of the 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 extensive financial information that's that's available um so yeah this is an area that expect to see more heavily targeted going forward unfortunately Eleanor over to you for a story I know is very close to your heart at number six. Yes, the story of the EC Council gender survey. Now, this was back in the spring, um, 9th of April, to be precise, when most of you listening, I'm sure will remember this. There's not many people that this escaped. Um, EC Council pushed out a women in security survey poll on LinkedIn with three apparently sexist answer options. Ironically, it was actually promoting an upcoming women in security webinar that the EC Council were running. I'm laughing, but I'm laughing just out of disbelief rather than genuine humour. They asked, what, according to you, are the most common challenges faced by women in the cybersecurity domain? And the three multiple choice answers that EC presented were A, only men can do this job, B, women can't handle this job, and C, women aren't encouraged enough. I mean, if you, it really is unbelievable. And if if you think that's bad enough, then you need to buckle up because what happened next was just so bloody awful. When women responded to the post with obvious understandable criticism and outrage, the EC Council team blocked them. There were men who were also responding um, and denouncing the poll, but they, they were ignored, but they weren't blocked. So subsequently, after utter outrage and condemnation from what felt like the whole industry, EC unblocked the women and their CEO, Jay Bavisi, issued a personal apology. All of the details, and there are a lot of them, and the industry commentary can be found in the lengthy piece that I wrote um, that weekend on this. Without question, it was a pretty catastrophic mistake by the EC Council, not just the question, but the response. And that arguably left an even nastier taste in everyone's mouth, the reaction than the actual issue in the first place. Jay's apology was flawed, absolutely. um, But I do believe that as everything unraveled, he did his best to rectify. And we have done follow up pieces with Jay since. Now, the EC Council is an organisation that has had its fair share or more than fair share of controversy over the years and on numerous occasions this year various grievances about the council have landed in my inbox when I was writing that expose that weekend that the story broke I reached out to Jay and the EC council for an interview and I received a note from the lady who heads up their digital marketing team who put out that survey 
and she was taking responsibility for it. Um, however, she did write to me, it can't be sexist because it was written by women. And that quote is something I will never forget. Um, but yeah, that was an absolutely fascinating story and performed hugely well with our audience. We're halfway through now, um, back to, uh, over to number five, which is with you, I think, Ben. Indeed it is. Yes, this is the story about a misconfigured database exposing 200,000 fake Amazon reviewers. Now, this, um, this the misconfigured database in question exposed a major coordinated scheme in May by Amazon vendors to procure fake reviews for their products. Now, a team at a V review site, Safety Detectives, found the China-based Elastic search server exposed online without any password protection or encryption. Now, the seven gigabyte trove contained over 13 million records, including the email addresses and WhatsApp slash Telegram and phone numbers of vendor contacts plus email addresses, surnames, PayPal account details and Amazon account profiles of reviewers. Now, the safety detectives team discovered the database on March the 1st, and it was secured around a week later, although the researchers weren't able to track down its owner. Now, another similar story involving a misconfigured database occurred in June when a misconfigured cloud database exposed over 800 million records linked to WordPress users before its owners were notified, according to the website Planet. Now, the trove was left online with no password protection by US hosting provider DreamHost. Now, the 814 million records found were traced back to the firm's managed WordPress hosting business DreamPress and appear to date back all the way to 2018. Now, unlike the Amazon trove, this trove comprising 86 gigabytes of information were um, included Reportedly, admin and user information, including WordPress logging, location URLs, first and last names, email addresses, usernames, roles, host IP addresses, timestamps and configuration and security um, information. And worryingly, some of the information um, included users with .gov and .edu email addresses. So some significant um, database misconfiguration um, leaks exposing um, far too many, um, far too much personal information. Right, um, I believe now, James, over to you for number four. Thank you, Ben. So yes, at number four in our list is is the announcement that came back in January that the US Marines created a Marine Corps adversarial cyber assessment blue team uh, which is known as mcat uh, so as our listeners will know uh, a blue team is a group of a group of individuals who identify security threats and risks in the operating environment and analyze the network environment and its current state of security readiness um, so this new team it comprises eight to ten people from a variety of backgrounds including cyber security computer engineering and information technology um, in a memo authorizing the new adversarial blue team designation commander of marine corps forces cyberspace command major general mg glavy explained that the new newly formed blue team will support marine corps system commands mcsc apologies in advance there's going to be a lot of acronyms in this in this 
case story um, program of records or PORs, which enhances acquisition, cyber testing and evaluation capabilities. So this new team is authorised to perform evaluator, tester and aggressor roles in accordance with the mission focused cyber hardening memo released in October 2019 by, by the Office of the Under Secretary of Defence Acquisition and Sustainment. Uh, so the new team, MCAT, will assess the security and defence of the MCSC and Program Executive Officer Land Systems PORs for systems in the field and for those that are still in the developmental test phase. Uh, and the Marines also added that the creation of MCAT will enable Marine Corps' tactical system support activity to increase manning for defensive and offensive cyberspace operators. Um, so this, this story really demonstrates again how cybersecurity is increasingly playing a role in military thinking, both from a defensive and offensive standpoints. Um, and to highlight this trend earlier this year, the United States Army promoted an Army Reserve Cyber Officer to the rank of Brigadier General. And this is the first occasion that uh, a United States Army Reserve General Officer has come from the cyber branch. So really highlighting how this, this area is playing a big role in military thinking now. And now we believe we've reached the the podium of our list i think um so eleanor what have we got in third place we absolutely have it will come as no surprise to most of you i'm sure that covid has made it into our top 10 placing third and winning bronze medal um, for the story scammers sell fake covid19 vaccination cards so back in february uh, in the united states scammers set up shopify backed online stores to sell fake COVID vax cards to anti-vaxxers. A black market emerged for those wanting to enjoy all the benefits that immunisation would bring, except of course, actual immunisation, without having to actually get the jab. So of course, it would grant them access to public places and things like that. The cards were selling for as little or around the $20 mark. Um, it wasn't the first and absolutely not the last fake vaccination card scam. And what we've seen as the, the, over the last two years is that COVID has become a key theme for phishing and other cyber attacks. And the psychology of using fear to entice humans into an action is a well-known tactic. And for the past almost two years now, we've written many stories about COVID-themed attacks. It's always particularly shocking when criminals use such cruel tactics to lure their victims in. So that was bronze. Uh, ben, what story is getting silver? Yes. So unfortunately, despite the name of being silver, it's quite a sad story. So this is the story of half of US hospitals shutting down their networks due to ransomware. Now, 48% of US hospitals disconnected their networks during the first half of 2021 due to ransomware. Now, this is according to a study from Philips and CyberMDX. The Perspectives in Healthcare Security Report is based on interviews with 130 IT and cybersecurity hospital executives and biomedical engineers and technicians. The findings revealed the outsized impact ransomware continues to have on healthcare organizations after they battled a surge in attacks during the early months of the pandemic. 
and respondents who admitted to shutting down networks due to ransomware were a mix of those who did so proactively to avoid a damaging breach and those forced to do so because of severe malware infection. Medium-sized hospitals appear to have suffered most from the impact of such attacks. Of the respondents um, who experienced a shutdown due to external factors, large facilities suffered an average of 6.2 hours downtime at the cost of $21,500 per hour. In comparison, mid-sized hospitals averaged nearly 10 hours at a whopping $45,700 per hour. Now, the skills gap and low levels of investment in cybersecurity were highlighted as possible contributing factors. Now, just 11% of respondents said cybersecurity is a high priority for spending, while nearly half of all respondents types claimed their medical device and IoT security staffing levels are inadequate. James, bring it home with number one. Thank you, Ben. Um, so in first place is a story with a headline that can probably conjure up all kinds of unfortunate images. Um, and it was entitled Trump sex scandal video is a rat. So this this story emerged at the start of the year um, when it was revealed that cyber attackers are disguising malware as a video file that supposedly was depicting a fake sex scandal involving the then United States President Donald Trump. Um, the email based attack was discovered by cybersecurity re researchers at Trustwave who were reviewing their spam traps. Um, so targets were was sent an email with the attachment Trump underscore sex underscore scandal underscore video dot jar. Uh, and those who clicked on the uh, malicious Java archive file unwittingly installed the QNode remote access Trojan, also known as RAT, onto their computer. Um, so usually the title of the malicious file bore no resemblance to the subject of the email to which it was attached. For example, when the researchers opened the email, an email that was entitled good loan offer, they expected to discover, discover nothing more than an investment scam. However, attached to the email was an archive containing the malicious uh, JAR file. Um, so this, this discovery and research, it came amid all the drama earlier in the year of the um, presidential election results, which uh, originally took place in, in late 2020. Uh, and then obviously there was the infamous scenes at Capitol Hill earlier this year. So, uh, yeah, the attackers were clearly trying to leverage the the huge media interest in in Trump at, at that time uh, to to kind of induce recipients to open the malicious file. Um, the researchers also noted that while the Trump sex scandal email campaign used to used to deliver the malware was, in their own words, rather amateurish, the new QNO rat that was used was was more sophisticated than prior variants. Um, so leaving aside the, the subjects of this particular file, which is uh, slightly disturbing, the, the story is just another example of how cyber criminals are really quick to take advantage of current news trends and cycles in order to launch, launch phishing attacks uh, and induce people to download malicious files. Uh, and that's some that's something we've most definitely seen during the throughout the COVID-19 crisis. 
and that concludes our top 10. Thank you, James. I think we, when we did the Big Fat InfoSec quiz of the year last week, one of the questions was, in the whole time, the whole history of InfoSecurity magazine online, how many of our top 10 stories ever have been about sex or porn? And the answer was three. Um, so as they say, sex sells. And um, it was no surprise to find this story right at the top of the leaderboard. Ben, James, thank you so much for giving me a hand with the top 10 stories today. It's it's always important for us to reflect on our most read content so that we can make sure that we're tailoring our news and features to our readers' needs. And I do genuinely mean it when I say our readers are at the heart of absolutely everything we do. Yeah, absolutely. And let us also take this opportunity to say thank you to all our listeners, readers and subscribers. You're multiplying at an incredible rate and we love being able to serve the industry. So thanks for very so much for being a part of the info security community. And another thank you to everyone for listening in today. We're going to be taking a decent break over the festive period so that we can refuel ready for January. In the meantime, there'll be a whole load of content being drip fed onto infosecurity-magazine.com. And I would suggest if you haven't watched the Big Fight InfoSec Quiz of the Year webinar yet, let me recommend that for a light-hearted and hilarious way to see out the working year. This month's InfoSecurity or Into Security Chats podcast is also now available with the ever so wonderful Dr. Jessica Barker. So if you haven't listened to the, that yet, please do. But until next year, have yourselves a very merry little Christmas. And for one last time this year, I've been Eleanor. I've been James. And I've been Benjamin. Thanks for listening to Into Security. For in-depth interviews with the industry's finest minds, check out our sister podcast, Into Security Chats. Join us again next month. Until then, stay safe and keep up to date with everything you need to know about information security via the infosecurity-magazine.com website.